Good morning, everybody. I'm glad that you're here as well, and uh, hope that you're enjoying a good December, a good uh, Christmas season. If you do have some kids that are in grades one through five, uh, they can go ahead and be dismissed to kids' worship right now. You'll reconnect with them, of course, after uh, we're done. In your uh, programs, there should be a green insert. Uh, you can follow along with me as we uh, get into the Word. Uh, we're in our second week of uh, our Christmas series, which is called Hello, My Name Is. And uh, last week, we talked about how in a world, of, uh, in, a world in which we live where, there's all, where we're besieged with opinion, <laughs> we're besieged with information, we can find just incredible volumes of anything that we want to have someone's opinion on in uh, just a couple of, not even a couple of seconds, right? One little click and, it, and we are besieged with all that info. We really do need something that cuts through all of that, that cuts through all of the blah, blah, blah. And we saw last week that we have, in the gift of Jesus, one of the ways in which God has gifted us is he has provided for us a wonderful counselor, a counselor, one who, who seeks to give us advice and counsel that would lead us toward a life of victory, one who seeks to help us to understand God's desires for our life so that we cannot settle for what we think is best, not settle for a life that, doesn't, that isn't everything that God has designed for us to have, but instead that we would have that life that truly God wants to give us. Jesus said he wants to give us the abundant life. He wants to give us eternal life, and the wonderful counselor comes into our lives, and he brings us that. He brings us that kind of counsel, and, and he's not just a counselor, right? Again, there's, there's many counselors that we could see and, and hear from, and there's, 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 that's important that we seek counsel, wise counsel from each other, and there's the importance, too, of professional counselors, but we have this wonderful counselor in Jesus, and we looked at that word last week that is uh, translated wonderful in our Bibles, Pele. It means miraculous or wonderful, and, and other than of all the 84 times that it's found in the Hebrew Bible, we call that the Old Testament, of the 84 times it's found, 83 of them are in relationship to, as you can see, it always refers to the context of God's acts or God's words. There's one, one occurrence in the book of Lamentations where it's not about an act or an occur, uh, a deed of God, but otherwise it's primarily on the, and almost exclusively referring to something which God does, and that's what he does for us. He provides us that unlike any other otherworldly counsel for our lives. That's what Jesus does. He comes to us as that wonderful counselor. We are, we're, we're, we're looking at these names uh, over the month of December as it's, uh, as, as it's brought together in Isaiah 9-6. And the one that we're going to be focusing on today, as you see on the cover of your program, the screen behind me, Dan alluded, it to, it, alluded to it in his prayer as well, is we're going to be focusing on Jesus as the mighty God. That's the second name that's listed in Isaiah 9-6. You can see it there in your notes. I'm going to read it here from the screen so you can follow along with me. Uh, this is from what's known as the Christian Standard Bible. And there, uh, the, the scripture says this, for a child, referring, prophesying about the birth of Jesus, a child will be born for us. A son will be given to us. And the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Let's pray for a sec. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of this day. We thank you for the gift of this season and the rhythm of our lives that this comes around. And, and, and sometimes, Lord, in our familiarity with it, 
uh, as we've gone through, for many of us, we've gone through the, the cycle of the Christmas season multiple times. And sometimes, Lord, through our familiarity, it can become ordinary. And we pray that that wouldn't be the case today. We pray that regardless of anything else that's happened in the, in the, in the first week of this month, that today, as we're gathered in your name, as we're focused on Jesus as the mighty God, that one of those incredible names that, that you inspired Isaiah to, to call him many years ago. We pray, God, that you would, you would just help us to, to see the truth that is in that description, the truth that's in that moniker, in that name, and that it would be life-changing for us today. That there would be something about the way that your Holy Spirit opens up and teaches, our, teaches us today, that it goes beyond informational and more transformed. So we commit the time to you, God, and we pray that you would do your work in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. I, uh, last week, just as I, I talked about how Jesus was our Ya'atz Pele, our counselor of wonder, uh, the, the, today we're looking at a couple of uh, uh, Hebrew words. You can see they're listed there in your notes. And the first of those words that we find in this text is the word El. Now, El is one that is very commonly used all throughout the Hebrew Bible. It means God little g. It means a God-like one or a mighty one. It also can refer to a mighty man, a, a man of rank, a, a hero. And, and adjectivally, it can refer to something of strength, of power. But it's also used, again, very commonly in Scripture to refer to God or the one true God. There's, there's multiple times in which God is referred to. And in fact, uh, uh, not too long ago, we, we took a look at, uh, at many of the names of God. And there are, there are dozens of, the, of names of God, but many of them are, are prefaced with El God, the God, the God who heals, the God who comforts, the God who saves, the God, the the um, the God of might, the God of strength, all of that, and so that's that's commonly used all throughout Scripture. And so it's clear that one of the things that when and when God inspired this 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 uh, these words to be shared about the gift of His Son, the one of the things that was clear that He wanted us to understand in using this word to describe His Son, using this word L, is that Jesus is divine. This is one of those things about the Christmas story that we hold on to by faith, even though intellectually it is somewhat difficult to get our minds around. We have this idea uh, that, that, that things are one or the other, right? Uh, we we kind of have that, that reality in our lives. There are left and right and male and female and dark and night and good and evil. But in the, in the reality of Jesus, we have Jesus as fully human, 100% human being, while at the same time he is fully divine. His father was God, his mother was a human woman. And so Jesus exists unlike any other person that had ever, that's ever walked on earth or ever will, uh, that's ever existed in that he is divine. And scripture, it's not just this singular occurrence, it's not just this one thing where we, where we build the entire you know, uh, theology of, of what we think about the divinity of Jesus based on this one reference or the use of El that, uh, throughout the, or the Hebrew Bible that refers to him, but all throughout Scripture. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 1, it says this, the Son, referring to Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory, and check this phrase out, and the exact representation of his being. Jesus is divine. Last week, we shared this verse from John chapter 1, where John says the word, referring to Jesus again, the logos, the word, became a human being. He became flesh, and he lived here with us. We saw his true glory, the glory of the only son of the father, 
from him all the kindness and all the truth of God have come down to us. Jesus maybe said it most succinctly and perfectly when he said it simply this way in John 10 30. These are his own words. I and the Father are not many, are not two, we are one. The exact representation of his being. That's why when the, when the angel spoke in, the, in, the, in one of the gospel accounts in Matthew, he said this, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. So one of the things that we know about the gift of Jesus, exact representation of his being, full radiance of the Father, the Father and he are one. God with us is that when we see the gift of Jesus, he is 100%, not 50%, but he is 100% divine. He is God. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He is our mighty God. But before we get to the description of the mighty, and that's important too, we need to recognize that he is God. God among us. God in the flesh. God incarnate. If I haven't made it clear yet, he's 100% divine. Got it? We got it. And that's, that's, that's an essential understanding of his nature, of his being. It's, again, for me to describe that in a way that where you can get your mind around it, where you, can, where you can conceive in your mind of what it meant for him to be conceived by the Holy Spirit being his father and Mary being his mother. I can't describe that in a way that would help you understand it better because it's kind of, it's supernatural, it's mystical, it's a, a bit beyond our ability to comprehend. But by faith, I believe, what he, uh, the way in which Jesus is referred to all throughout scripture that it is clear that Jesus and the Father are one, that he is the exact representation of his being, that it is clear that God, when we see Jesus, God is with us. Jesus said at another point when he was talking with some people who were interacting with him, he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one, the exact representation of his being. And what kind of a God is he? Well, scripture says he is El Gabor. El Gabor. Gabor is a word that means, and, and it's interesting, you can see kind of the, the devil, when you, when you checked out the word uh, uh, El, the uh, word El has, has kind of like um, nuances of strong, uh, strength and might and power and, and, uh, and, and, a, and a heroic nature to it. And here in the, in the adjective that's used in, that complements the word El, it means strong, mighty, or powerful. It's a strong, brave, and mighty person. And it's, it's by implication, it's a warrior or it's a champion. There are several verses, I'm, I'm not gonna share them all in turn, uh, up on the screen, but I just put the addresses up there on the screen. You can check them out on your own time. In Joshua, uh, in the book of Joshua, his, uh, the soldiers of Israel are described as the mighty, that is, uh, Gabor, the mighty men of valor. Some of you remember the story of David and Goliath. Goliath is referred to as a Gabor, a champion, in 1 Samuel 17. King David's top soldiers were known as mighty men, and you can check that out in 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 8. And God himself is described this way in another portion of scripture in Psalm 24, 8, where the word Gabor is used twice when the writer, when this psalmist says, who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Jesus is our mighty warrior. 
And we, I want to share some, some things about that, about him being a warrior. And so this idea of him being our El Gabor, uh, our mighty God, refers to this, this warrior, champion, uh, man of valor, this mighty God. And, and, and that's something to be celebrated today. One of the things that we, we celebrate as we recognize the gift of Jesus in the flesh is what he came to do. And that's what some of these titles in Isaiah are all about. He came so that we would receive that wonderful counsel for our lives. He came so that we could experience God in all of his might, that we could experience the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in, bat- mighty in battle. And so I just want to share three things about, with, with you this morning about him being that warrior. Jesus is divine, he is a warrior, and he was a promised warrior. He was a promised warrior. In the Garden of Eden, we have the dramatic interaction between the first human beings, Eve and Adam, and Satan as represented in the story by a serpent. And in Genesis chapter 3, we have reference to what happened when, the Satan, when Satan came and tempted. Um, after he had tempted Eve, and she ate, and she also gave some of that which she had eaten to her husband, and he ate as well. It says in verse, verse 10, God says this, I heard you in the garden, or I'm sorry, uh, Adam answers when God is looking for him, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, uh, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Blame shifting is as old as humanity, right? It's their fault, not mine. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. Some more blame shifting. So the Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, Cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your offspring, better translated, your seed and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Here we have the first promise or prophecy or recognition of Jesus serving as this warrior that would be in this cosmic struggle against the prince of darkness himself, the enemy of all humanity, the great deceiver, the one who wants to lead the entire world astray. And what's going to happen? It's not something passive. It's not something easy. There is this clash between them. And scripture says again, to read that again, read that again in verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring or seed and her seed. Again, most likely a reference to the virgin birth because we know in the conception of humanity, a seed isn't the thing that the woman brings to the table so that the child could be conceived. So again, another reference to the virgin birth as well as the gift of of the son and what would happen between he and his enemy. I will put enmity between you and the woman and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So from the very, even before the outset of humanity, but certainly after humanity uh, fell, we have this prophecy, this promised warrior, this one whose job it would be to have victory over the one who's the enemy of humanity. The one who would crush, 
right? Who would crush the head of the one who wants to bring into our lives disaster. Satan is here in this world to steal, to kill, and destroy. He is here to deceive. He is here to lead the world astray. And through any and all means necessary, he will do do just that so that we could not receive the gift of salvation. The gift of the mighty God, the promised one, was that he would crush the one who is here to crush us. Yes, would his heel be struck? Absolutely. Would there be conflict? Yes. Would there be a titanic struggle in the cosmos that maybe we can't even fathom in the spiritual realms? Yes, and that absolutely goes on even still today. Jesus is the promised warrior, the one that God would give to us because as a result of that fall of the first human being, every one of us who are human beings have been born with this thing known as depravity. That is that we are inclined to do that which displeases God. We're inclined to sin. Our natural tendency is to move toward it. It's like a magnet, it pulls us. Whatever your sin of choice might be, whatever, it might, whatever might be that thing that so easily entangles you, it's there and it's draw, the draw is the same for all of us. Some of us have a little bit better ability to resist it, but none of us can overcome it. The only way that we can overcome it is that we would, have, would receive the gift of the one who came to crush our enemy and give us life. He was promised to us. Secondly, he was wounded. He was wounded. Jesus was our wounded warrior. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, it's very clear what his mission was for us. When he was given in the, as a babe in the manger. And we celebrate that. We celebrate that incredible gift of God in the flesh. But it's clear that when Jesus came as that babe in the manger, that God had a particular plan for him. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4, it says this, Surely he, that is Jesus, the, prophes- the prophesied one, surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. The wounded warrior. But the reality is, Isaiah says, he was pierced for our transgressions, not his own. He was crushed for our iniquities, not his own. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, not us. And it's by his wounds. He's the wounded warrior. By his wounds, we are healed. Amen. By the grace of God, the promised one, the one who would be struck by Satan, the one who would be struck, and, and, and the idea, of course, again, and this is something that, that, that you know, even there, there's, there have been books and, and messages that, that have kind of come along in this theme. What in the world was God doing on the cross? God on the cross? God dead? God reduced to the very thing that every human being sees as the, as the enemy that they can't defeat, death. The thing that we so work so hard to avoid. We go to the gym, we check out the latest supplements, we try to eat healthy, we do everything we do to what? To maintain life. That's our natural, te- that's our, our natural uh, tendency, of course, is we want to preserve and maintain and extend and lengthen our lives. And you're saying that, that God, he's on the cross, 
God is wounded, God is killed. What in the world? That doesn't make any sense. But it was the purpose of that wounding, the purpose of that death, the purpose of that sacrifice. Hear it again. He was pierced for who? For our transgressions, for our sin, that, that, that reality that I talked about, for our depravity, for our inclination. He was crushed for our iniquities. He was punished so that we could have peace. And he was wounded so that you and I could be healed. Healed of the disease that every one of us have. I don't know what's going to take my life. I don't know what's going to take your life. I don't know what kind of diseases each of us may experience in the course of however many years we have on this earth. And I know some of you are sitting here at 11 or 12 or 16 or 18 or 25 years old thinking, that's the last thought on your mind. Some of you who, like me, have a little bit more years under your belt, you're maybe kind of wondering, I wonder what's going to take me. And I don't know anything about how you might receive healing from those things that might come after your physical life, but I do know for certain this. There is one disease that we all have, and there is one answer to that singular disease that is common to every human being. And that singular disease of sinfulness, that singular disease of being separated from the Father, healing for that is found in this wounded warrior. By his stripes, you are healed. By his blood, you are made whole. He is our mighty God. He is our wounded warrior. And he loved us to the degree that he would bear the shame and the pain and the public humiliation so that we could have life. Oh, what a mighty God he is. He is mighty to save. He is our El Gabor. He is the brave and valiant and strong and mighty one because he embraced that very thing. And in fact, when people got in his way, when there was a well-meaning follower of his who one time decided that he knew better than Jesus what Jesus should do with his life, his name was Peter. He was one of those guys like me who oftentimes opens their mouth and engages their mind after the mouth is already going. You might struggle with that same thing. Peter tried to dissuade him from the very thing that God had given him as his life mission. And Jesus very clearly said to him, uh, get behind me, Satan. You have no idea what you're saying. You have no idea what God's plan for me really is. You've, you've got your mind on earthly matters. You can't understand what I'm about to do. How thankful we should be that he is our wounded warrior. But at the same time, that wounding that happened would mean very little according to the teaching of Paul, especially to the Corinthians. That wounding would be very inconsequential if he was not also at the same time triumphant. Jesus is the victorious warrior. Jesus is the one who is the champion. Death could not hold him. Even though he was wounded, even though he was pierced, even though he was crushed, that isn't the end of the story for our mighty God. That isn't the end of the story. He was crushed. He was killed. 
He was. He, he experienced death in the same way that, that each of us will experience death, not in, in the fact that he, he experienced it. And we, we, wouldn't, we won't experience most likely death by crucifixion, but he experienced death. But that death could not hold him. That death was there for a purpose. That death, was, that death took place so that we could have victory. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15 says, says this. Since the children, that is referring to us, humanity, since the children have flesh and blood, he too, that is Jesus, shared in their hum- humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death. That is the devil, that one, that enmity, right, that exists, that was referred to all the way back in Genesis 3. He might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. His death isn't, any like, isn't like any other death. His death gives life. And Paul, again, very clearly as he writes to the Corinthians, says, listen, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then there is no victory. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, then your faith is futile. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, you are still in your sins. But what do we celebrate, you know, a few months from now, in the rhythm of our, uh, of, again, of our year, is we celebrate, yes, the fact right now we're celebrating the gift of Jesus in the flesh. We're, we're fast-forwarding toward his death, but then we will also celebrate the fact that when he was placed in that tomb, he did not stay in that tomb. He was raised from the dead, and he stands as the victorious one. And the only reason that he can free us from our fear of death is because he conquered it. In his death and in his resurrection, he gives us hope for life. Not just life in this world, but life eternal. He is the victorious one. This is something, I love the, I love the, the blunt nature of, of, of how the writer of Hebrews shares this with us. Who, those of us who all our lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. That fear of death is gone. Because of our El Gabor, our mighty God, the strong warrior, the promised warrior, the wounded warrior, and the triumphant warrior. You see, this is, again, something that's so common to, to our human existence. We, we do everything we can to avoid death. We're afraid of it. We wonder, you know, in our, in our really, you know, like darkest moments, we wonder what really is going to happen when I cross from, from this life to the next. And one of the things that God does in giving us his, his word is he wants us to have confidence. He wants us to be able to put our heads on our pillows at night with confidence that if we don't wake up in the morning, we wake up in glory. He wants us to know that. He wants us to know that there's nothing that can change that identity that we have because of Jesus, the victorious one. He's so mighty and he's so powerful that he wants that to be burned into our hearts. So Paul writes to some ancient believers in the, in the book that's called Romans. And beginning in verse 40, 31, he says this, what then shall we say in response to this? If God, mighty God, is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he also, along with him, How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? 
Who will bring any charge against us? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? The answer to all those rhetorical questions is, no, they won't. I love the claps I'm getting from this little guy or little girl over here. May your tribe increase. I love, again, how real that passage and how, how, how we can connect so much to it. When you think about life, life has its share, doesn't it, of trouble and hardship, persecution, famine, famine nakedness, danger, sword. Life has its share of tough stuff, doesn't it? That's why the gift of Jesus as our mighty God is so important. I got to tell you, I need that mighty God in my life this week. It hasn't been the best week for Amy and I. Last week, we found out that a good friend of ours from Element, which is the church that I served at for about 10 years before I came to this church, not to go into all the details, but great friend of ours, Michigan State grad, farmer, up working on his roof, patching it for the wind and rain that was coming right before Thanksgiving, stepped through, 20 feet, dead. We went to that viewing on Friday night. That same day, Friday, December 6th, is the fourth anniversary of my mom's death. And that same day, I got a call from my sister to call her as quickly as I could. And she said, hey, don't know how to tell you this, but JD, who happens to be the son of my, of not her, but my oldest sister. JD, a nephew of mine who struggled for many years with homelessness, drug addiction, mental illness, he died. Man, we need, we need a mighty God. And I don't know what you might be going through in your life. But I do know that the mighty God wants to go through it with you. And that doesn't mean that any of these negative things will hurt less. But without the knowledge by faith that I have surrendered my life to one who is victorious. All this stuff that we go through in life would be probably unbearable. So I invite you today, whatever you might be going through, to yield to the mighty God. And allow his power, his strength, I'm thankful for part of the way in which he expresses that as he gives us this great family, like Dan referred to. And I know that many of you will be praying for me this week as I do JD's funeral on Wednesday.
And I want you also, wherever you might be in life, this isn't about Dave today, but I share that because just like you, I'm a human being and I got plenty of stuff that I'm walking through too. And I hope we can walk through it together with the help of the one who is our mighty God, our man of valor, our strong and mighty champion. Glory be to his name. Would you guys bow your heads with me? Father God, we're so thankful for the gift of Jesus. We're so thankful that he is our wonderful counselor. And so we're also so incredibly great, uh, grateful for the fact that he is our mighty God, the exact representation of you. I pray that you would help us to lean into that power and that strength and that might and that victory. All this stuff that we go through, Lord, in our own individual lives, with family and friends, we can't change our identity that is found in Christ Jesus. Burn that into our hearts today. Help us to walk in the hope of that, even at times as this path of life takes us into some pretty dark places. For those of us who might be hurting today, God, we ask that you would especially bless us with your might and strength. In the great name of Jesus, we pray.